Welcome to Afroability, a conversation about African business and technology. Today, we're going to talk about Transien, the Chinese phone manufacturer that sold the most phones in Africa since 2017. We'll go over early history, entry and success into Africa, progress in other developing markets, and its eventual 2019 IPO. And then we'll just end with our views on its future prospects. This episode was recorded on May 17, 2020. So what is Transient? They manufacture and sell phones. They were founded in 2006 by an entrepreneur called Zhuang Jiangzu. And he was the overseas sales director at Bodao, which is a Chinese manufacturer of phones. Eventually said in 2006, I'm going to leave and form another company. But in 2008, so two years after they formed, they actually decided to focus and go all in on Africa. And their initial brand was Techno, which was the original name of the company. I remember those phones when I was in university. Like they were, oh my God, they oh were the loudest, I, like just really? unconscionably loud. Like they, they had a they had a derogatory name, China phone. And it was like somebody has a loud China. in terms of ringing or loud in terms of clicking of the button. In terms of life. Like they were loud. The ringtone was loud and shrill. It was shrieking. Is that way I would describe it? And it was loud and it was cheap and it did everything. And it was a dumb phone, right? It wasn't no, a smartphone. It was a, it was a smartphone. So, so this was, it was a smartphone. Was a, it ran. It ran whatever OS they ran. But think about okay. like this was a period of like uh, Symbian, high end Symbians, where you would get the N95 that had, and you'd pick a phone based on it. it had Wi Fi and no camera and like this much memory. And they just came out of the blue with something else on the back end, which I don't even remember what the first phones ran. But it would it would have way more stuff. You know how some phones would have like like the 6310 could have Wi-Fi, but the 6320 wouldn't yes. have Wi-Fi or something. Yes. Like they would just What phone did you have in 2006? Dude, I don't know. That's a good question. Do you even remember? Okay, let, let me think. I had I think I had the Nokia E63 in 2006, 2007. Nokia E63, it ran Symbian. And it had like a little QWERTY keyboard and a tiny screen, but it was technically a smartphone because it yeah. could install apps. I got Opera I, I browser. Have to, I have to go check out like uh, if I remember what this techno. But I remember even then, broke universities when I had no money. I was like, nah, bro, <laughs> this techno is not my life. This techno was for like my dad, who would yeah. be sold two phones, and they're like, this one has Wi-Fi. This one also has Wi-Fi. Yeah. This one is yeah. half the price. Therefore, let's get this one. Um, yeah. But yeah, they, they they did very well in that they came into the market and competed on price, and they realized that phones were sold on sold on bought based on features, at least in Nigeria at the time, and they were, they matched the features at a much lower price. So for a lot of people who didn't care about the polish and the first interaction with the smartphone and the first interaction with the phone, they sort of set the bar and set the criteria for that. Their reputation for not lasting long as well. I don't know how much yeah. of that is real uh, otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, you know, actually, this conversation reminds me of when we're talking about fintech and we're talking about what do people need out of fintech? Do people need bank accounts? At this point in the market, most people just need a phone and they, the most important selection criteria for buying is price. So if you can compete on price and offer them some features that are much more specific to what they want, you may have a hit on your hands. So that's what happened. Transien started focusing in 2008, like we said. They started to expand and over time, they added some more Africa-specific functionality, yeah. longer battery life, um, better camera functionality for darker skin zones, and they just started to grow and grow from there. If I think about it, like even there was not a lot of, there were not a lot of network effects at that stage of the market. So I could very conceivably buy any phone I want and use the same web services I need. With the benefit of hindsight, you can look back and say, that was great because there's no attachment to a phone or a phone brand for any reason at all. Yes, attachment is just price. USD. It's just USD, USD attachment all day. And you change yeah. your phone if you wanted to change your phone and get the next new thing. But there was no reason to buy 
to stick to Nokia versus Ericsson or any of the others phone manufacturers at the time. So coming in and competing on price was, was super cool. A lot of other companies that were successful, they were successful based on brands that had been established earlier. So around this time, we already spoke about Nokia. Nokia was popular here, but Nokia had been popular for 10, 15 years. Yeah. Like the iPhone wasn't established until 2007. So around the same time, transit started to focus here. Android wasn't a thing until 2008. But almost all the manufacturers of Dreamwell already had established brands. But this was a new brand yeah. that they tried to focus in on the market. The other thing that they say they did um, is how they modify their phones to match African taste. So they talk about uh, adding more, uh, expo- increasing the exposure, adding more light to the camera to capture black faces. Yeah. Would well, uh, you really think that's a thing, though? Isn't it just the price? Like, this I, is just a price game. Well, these are all just stories. I also I also don't even think it's that difficult. It's like if if, uh, if a restaurant says, like, they added less pepper to... Like, I mean, it's interesting, but, like, it's... it's How meaningful is that, right? Uh, I don't think people... I don't think my mother bought the phone. I don't think my mother bought the phone because it, it has black people's skin tones. I remember I read this a couple of years ago. They're like, oh, one of the reasons Nokia phones were originally popular was because they had flashlights in the phone and like people lost power. I'm like, yeah, but like, is that a thing? Like you're it saying, was, the, the, you always have to separate what is the primary thing and the secondary things. And for sure, the primary thing is just like super. I will prices. say the flashlights were dope though. I will, I will, I will. That flashlight one, I feel like it was just such a lifesaver that it didn't affect how I bought phones. Of course not, because I was a tech savvy <laughs> teenager. But I will say yeah. I was very happy to know that my. Mother's phone always had a flashlight. My mother was very transfixed by the flashlight on her phone. Um, <laughs> in 2011, they became the first mobile phone fac- uh, manufacturer to set up a factory in Africa when they set up a factory in Ethiopia. So I think it's interesting they peaked Ethiopia. We don't have the, the details here, but it, it, it's already shown like they're starting to localize a lot. So some slight similarity. Yeah. So they did localize a lot. They did launch phones for local Ethiopian languages. They, um, I think what I'm, one thing I'm curious about that is not easy to find data on is how much of their volume is there. There's made in Ethiopia. It could fall, you know, it could be through the amount of volume. Their entry into other developing markets. So I saw that they got into India through this acquisition or investment into something called Spice. Yes, Spice India. I saw yeah. that. I don't know if you have thought. I, I felt like it was more hey, look at this other big market that we can do the same thing we did yeah. here. In. We spoke about this, I think, last month. If you're doing well in a market, you start to say, what other markets that have similar, um, that are similar? And then what's the competitive moat there? And how do my products translate there? And then you just do it. So if you're already big in Africa and you're big in countries that speak English and you're used to developing markets where people want to buy lower phones, maybe it makes sense to focus on India. Um, India is a tough market, though. Yeah, and so. the competition is... Uh vicious it's vicious it's absolutely it's, vicious yeah i wouldn't even feel confident enough to uh, yeah personally but that's why i guess that's why i have the job i do when i don't uh, entrepreneur <laughs> yeah what surprised me about some of the, their moves the, the most surprising thing doing a lot of research for this company is just how my knowledge base is so low about transient before before i, I did this because i think this fear that i roll in I do, I've never really used any of their phones. I don't even think I've ever really seen any of their phones. But the fact they're, they're so successful and they're not so well-known by some people just shows, like, the power of customer segmentation. Segment the customers, go after who it makes sense, and just leave all yeah. the rest. It makes yeah. sense. Like, if I don't know about them and they're selling this many phones, it's by design. Yes. Like, you know, yes. the message yes. is only reaching with 124 one. million phones in 2018. My goodness. The, the, the other thing, if you think about, and we get into that uh, a little bit when we talk about Bull and Bear case, is I'm very, I want to mm. speak a bit about the music app. Um, I, there's, there's a number of, like, 
intentional things they have done at different stages, at different price points yeah. that are creative. Yeah. Um, yeah. That make me pretty bullish about this whole thing. It seems you have mostly positive sentiment for a company that wasn't from Africa, developed a product, tailored it to Africa, and they seem to be successful. Why don't we have the same feelings about Jumia, for example? I, I think the difference is just the market. Like this market, it's, I won't say it's easier, but it's much more straightforward to figure out like what your revenue cost and profitability game is versus like e-commerce and the fact Jumia did a bunch of different businesses. So I think the audience will realize it's slightly different. And we'll talk more about the financials in a few Yeah, months. I would even, I, I don't even know that I'm that bullish about this. I think I just see many good things, but there's a couple of things that will come up in my beer case. If I had to pick, I would say bull, bull, but I, there's a, there's good reasons to stay away from this. And we'll, we'll go through that. Like this is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so moving right along to 2017. So they overtook Samsung um, in Africa market share in 2017 Q4, and they became the highest selling um, company there. Now, this is a combination of all their three brands. So we've spoken about Techno, there's Itel, and then there's Infinix. So they have three, three major brands and they do slightly different things. To give some more information and some numbers, they sold 124 million phones in 2018. So quite a lot. Um, I think I looked up some data on this. Samsung sells about 350 million-ish. Apple sells about 200 million-ish, and they sell 120. So these guys are a really, really big deal. Now, of course, the average selling price much, much lower. The types of phones they sell much more different, but just in terms of like pure volume, they sell a bunch of phones. Uh, the average market share is between 48 and 60% over the past two years. So let's just call it 50%. And their market share of feature phones is 58 to 70%. The market share of smartphones is 34 to 42%. So basically, they're sort of dominant, and they've been dominant over the past two years. Yeah. I think that they've they've done they've done pretty well. One interesting thing here is if you compare it to the Apple versus Android debate in the US, is the average yeah. selling price is very different. The average selling price of their feature phones, aka dumb phones, is nine point eight dollars, and the average selling price of their smartphones is sixty nine dollars. So ten bucks and seventy bucks, basically, way way lower than Samsung and Apple, which would be many many hundreds of dollars. So we're talking like. 7, 8x difference in ASP. Yeah. Completely But different. also different, therefore different margins, different, yeah. Yes, but, different margins and everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One thing I found, moving on to how, how at least we think they're thinking about their business is starting from the hardware uh, layer, so building and manufacturing phones and moving into a lot of the services. One thing to talk about here, I guess two things to flag here. One is the investment in Pompeii, I think it is. Uh, and Pompeii, the app itself is this home for all transactions. They give you rewards. They give you points. You can end points. You can pay bills. You can send money to people. And for all for all I know, they seem to be doing well in the market. Um, the, the the second the second thing is this app called Boomplay. Boomplay apparently has sixty two million subscribers. What what is Boomplay? <laughs> Boomplay is a music app started by something called NetEase. Ah, it's fully owned. It's fully owned by um, Transgen, by the way, but it's a it's a joint joint venture with NetEase, and Boomplay is this music app which you haven't heard of. Speaks to their customer segmentation. Um, the best way to describe it is how I down how I engage with music as a teenager or maybe in my first year, or second year of university, how I got music online in an app. So I'm talking about downloading Nigerian songs uh, from the internet from notjustokay.com or something. And um, and YouTube music videos, but not willing to pay nine ninety nine for Spotify because that's a lot of money. 
but getting the right content, not wanting to sign up because I know basically paying money is a non-starter for any of this stuff. It's a limited catalog. They have a deal with Universal. Uh, so they have some catalog. It's going to be old songs, not going to be new stuff. They have all the Nigerian songs. You can basically just download the app and just start playing like David Obiskid. You don't listen to any ads. There's ads in the app itself. Uh, you can see a lot of the Nigerian music videos. So they've done a lot of deals with the big Nigerian local labels. So I can, and they have, I can go on and on. Like they have a very cool download functionality where you click to download. You can download the thing in different sizes. So you can download a light version, which is like 800 kilobytes, one megabyte for a song. Yeah. D- does it run on their feature phones or their smartphones? Uh, I didn't test it. I know it runs on Android. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. It, so- it sounds like something that would work more on smartphones than feature phones. Yeah. But, 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 sure. but even like, the fact that they have like different levels of downloads depending on how much you have. You can download songs to your exactly. phone. Exactly. You yes, can play yes. songs on your phone. They thought about all it. of these things are without um, paying. Mm. If you want to download a high res version of a song, you need to pay. If you want to listen to some songs, you need to pay. And the fees mm-hmm. are from zero to two ninety nine. So you know it's not even a full catalog to start with. You know you can't find. <laughs> so I search for some of the new stuff. You can't find it. If you search for like um, Eminem till I collapse, you get some like karaoke version of stuff. Um, <laughs> Nobody in the market is trying to listen to Miley Cyrus, you know, or Roddy yeah, Rich. Yeah, like exactly. nobody, like if you think about it, right? So it's more yeah, focused. They, they on, focus on what customers want, which is the Nigerian catalog, which is the same thing they did with the pricing. But yeah. focus on low prices versus focus on this. So it makes sense. The strategy is to focus. So with that many users that they're not trying to monetize that way, that Apple company installed on techno phones. Um, mm-hmm. In addition to Pump, they come installed on techno phones. Yeah, so yeah. Services so, layer. So you're moving on from like the the. Um, I love. I couldn't stop using the app. By the way, you moved on from the <laughs> from the app to the to the um, to this services experience, right? Because you have the hardware, they have the payments, and they have the music. And the music is big. I think it's something that people have kind of missed out on. We will not pay nine ninety nine for music because the it's nine ninety nine because of Warner Music, UMG, and all the stuff. We need to get their paycheck. We, as a consumer group in Nigeria, at least there's not that many people. The average is not. Willing, does not value that catalog at 9.99. Let's put it that way, right? Um, so it's very interesting to see how they can segment that 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 group and price for that group um, by local music. What is tricky here is if you want to be a true services company, you need to put your services on as much hardware as possible. You should spread it out. So right now, it's exclusive to only transient phones, which means at some point they need to make a, like a strategic decision to see whether they want it to be brought. Oh, it's not exclusive to transfer phones. I have it on my Android. Oh, I thought, I, oh, I, th- oh, I, th- I thought that that's what you said. Oh, no, no, I no, misunderstood. No, no, no. You download it in the Android App Store. I have it on my Android ah, phone. Okay, 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 okay. So, They're already doing that. Because where I was going was, if they if they made it exclusive, it's not like you said. If they made it exclusive, they would then be limited by the amount of phones they sell. But if they want to be a true services company, they should go broad. So they're already broad. Huh. broad. You know what this reminds me of? Have you heard of Savin? S A A V N. It sounds vaguely familiar, but. Okay, so so Savan is the Indian version of this. Oh yeah, so yeah, in, oh, in, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So for, for the longest time, we're like, oh, why isn't Spotify big in India? Why isn't Google Play Music big in India? Apple Music is because Savan already took the market. It's cheaper. It has specific Indian songs. It has a broader catalog. It was it launched way earlier, so it's it's so similar to what you're saying. And then Geo bought them. Reliance Geo. I could do a whole podcast on Reliance Geo. I'm in love with that company. That's a separate company. So, so that's a separate podcast. Yeah, um, I think. For Boomplay, Boomplay is one of the more interesting parts of the entire like services strategy because they are controlling people's first access to music, a very common use case for phones. And they are taking a common pinpoint. A lot of people sit down with music. When I was in, 
in secondary school or university, you could go to a roadside person and buy songs illegally off a USB drive on a side. This is how you got songs. <laughs> I'm plugging it to you. how you got songs. You get 300 later songs in a folder in a USB <laughs> and they, you give them your phone, they, they connect your phone to some computer, jeez. And then <laughs> just a random shiny. computer on the side of the street, bro. And then because they, they want to give you 200, um, 200 of the latest songs and you pay, you pay money for that. And people started to download the more internet got widespread and cheaper. And this just makes it easy. Now I don't have to go to like 10,000 sketchy websites. I just go to the Boomplay app. God knows how they source it. Um, I'm sure they have deals with the labels. I don't think it's any of it is illegal, but yeah, because I, that's what Seven did. Seven just like they cut more aggressive deals and they said, the average consumer is willing to pay X. You're saying Y, so they just negotiated. But a very, very interesting comparable company, and they had a good exit because they, they sold to Reliance. So, what other services do they have apart from uh, these two, Pompeii and? Blue I Cups? think this were the only two that I found. Um, mm. But if you think about it, it's definitely it's on their mind. It's in their mind. There's a there's a there's a process of one. Do they have to build it? Two. Do they have to license like the platform that they're building? So they're trying to convert this hardware program into like a platform. It's difficult to do because it's built on Android and versus now we use our installed base as our platform to basically a slingshot for any kind of consumer app in in uh in Africa, which yeah, is yeah tempting. Let me give some more information on their hardware business to supplement what you said about their services business. In 2018, there were 215 million phones sold in Africa based on IDC. So let's just say 200 million. 60% of those were feature phones and 40% were smartphones. So interestingly, the market is still in the feature phone phase. Maybe it's obvious to some folks, maybe it's not obvious to some folks. So in the feature phone share, Transient has 68% of the feature phone market and Transient has 34% of the smartphone market. So you can already see that the key people they compete with in the feature phone market are this HMD Nokia and the key competitors in smartphone um, market are Samsung and Huawei. And Samsung and Huawei already have more um, established services businesses, at least that they've been trying to do over the past couple of years. Yeah. We'll get into this in the beer case uh, more, but the question is, is there money to be made in this low, small market? Uh, and many people would, the instant game goes, of course there's money to be made, there goes demand. I, it's, not, it's not that obvious to me. Or we can get okay, IPO. Should we talk about the 2019 IPO? Yeah, I know it went very okay. well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they raised $400 million, so 2.8 billion Remnant B. Uh, and their initial valuation was about $6.5 billion. So it went pretty well. It spiked up on the first day of trading, so closed up by about 64%. And from when they went IPO, 2019 September to today, 2020 May, the stock price and valuation has remained mostly about the same. So it hasn't gone down by 80 or 90% like Jumia. It's still valued at about $6 billion. But isn't that odd, given that the markets they're in are not growing and people are getting poorer in the markets they're in? So that's, that tempers a bit of the book. The, the, these guys are saving the world thing. It's like, you guys are selling stuff to people who are fundamentally poor. Like Nigeria's revenue has almost halved in the reduction in oil price. And this is not new, right? Last year's budget was predicated on $100 or something. But yeah, these guys are still valued super highly. And Nigeria is one of the major markets. As people get poorer and their ability to afford becomes um, lower and lower. And their replacement cycle becomes longer and longer for their hardware. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, the, the margins can't be that high to begin with if the phones, like we said, feature phones are $9. $9. I found an interesting fact that I think you really like. So as of when they IPO'd, 
the founder, the guy we spoke about before, mm-hmm. Zhu Zhuajing, yeah, he owned 14% of the company as of IPO. Yeah. So I was like, okay, interesting. He got diluted from 100% stake to 14% stake. So I started to think, for other major tech companies, how much did the CEO slash founders own when they IPO'd? So, uh, Bank Holly, how much did Bill Gates own of Microsoft when Microsoft IPO'd? Yes, I have all the information. Maybe I'm curious 60%. to hear it. 45%, you're good. Because back in the day, they IPO'd early, yeah. you still had some share. How much of Apple did Steve Jobs own when they IPO'd? Oh, like 15% maybe? Oh, shit. Exactly correct. 15%. Yeah. <laughs> Man, mm-hmm. are you, you cheating? There was, you no, see no, this there was Steve, I read, I read a lot of books. There was Steve Wozniak. There's that first VC who came to that. Yeah. There's a couple of people whose story... Apple's yeah. founding story is not a Steve Jobs story. So Yeah, no. Also, they got heavily diluted because they got a lot of early VC. Yeah. And then Jeff Bezos. How much of um, Amazon did Jeff Bezos own when they IPO? Maybe 22%, 23%. 43.1%. I was surprised. Oh, I was surprised by that. Because I know, I know I he know, owns I 16 know. today. Yeah, he exactly. He owns 16 today and 43% IPO. So, yeah. I was like, okay, very maybe because he worked in the finance industry before he formed Amazon, he had more um, leverage slash whatever to negotiate to keep more of his equity. I don't know. I'm just. I think. I think he also just he, he so, just couldn't raise that much money. To be honest, like I yeah. think it wasn't like I don't think it was intentional. I think he really tried to give people more, and he just couldn't raise that evaluation and maintain him. The yeah. other piece here so, that I find about Transshan, uh, if. Uh, if I think of the 14% ownership is who else owns that much? It was very hard to find shareholder information for Chinese companies. Unbelievably difficult to find. Um, I couldn't find anything. I researched over and over again. Even the, the current CEO, uh, Zhu Zhuazheng, I was trying to get some interviews about him to see how he talks about the company. Very, very difficult. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's, that's for me, helps me understand uh, the incentives. Like, follow the money, you find incentives. Yeah. Uh, one last thing on the IPO that we move right along. They listed on the Shanghai Star Market, yeah, which is uh, the Shanghai Stock Exchange Nasdaq type thing. Just to keep everyone on point, so China has two stock exchanges. They have the Shanghai Stock Exchange (SSE) and they have the Shenzhen Stock Exchange. So this new Star Market is part of SSE, and it was made so Chinese companies can get funded by local companies, and a lot of the revenue slash success slash profitability can be filled by, by the investors that are local. Mm. What are your thoughts on having a local stock market um, versus international? Because almost all the companies you spoke about so far that are quote unquote African or Nigerian, they almost always list on an American stock exchange like NYSE. What's your I take on that? I think you have to go back to what you're actually trying to do by listing. Uh, I If if China seems to be, no, it seems to be, China is a big enough market where they can decide to have provincial markets if they want, right? Um, that's fine. I think in a place like Nigeria, many African countries, you're just not going to be able to find the capital uh, as a business you need, which is why you go public in the first place. I'm more worried about just the reason, the primary reason to go public is access to capital. And you need to be in a market big enough with big deep pockets to find that capital. So I don't care how, I'm less concerned about it be regional or national or provincial. If it's capital there, you can set up your stock market for the residents of Santa Monica, or Atherton, yeah. California. If you <laughs> yeah. also smart. It, it, it's interesting. It's interesting from multiple perspectives. I understand why a country would want. Okay, let's have our own stock exchange. Let's keep the value of growth here. Let's have our citizens grow. But the problem is, from the company's perspective, the company just wants capital. So the company is going to go where they can get the most amount of capital. So they have slightly different objectives. The company wants money. The country wants its um, citizens to be successful. Now, a citizen can still apply in another country's exchange. It's just much more difficult. Like if you're Nigerian, 
you can probably find a way to invest in a company listed elsewhere, but you have to go through some hoops and probably pay a lot more fees. There are apps for that. Um, but now. it's we still doable. We should talk about that. There are a lot of apps in Nigeria that let you invest in foreign equity and bonds. And stuff. I, I love it. I love it. I just have to look at the fees. All I care about are the fees. I don't want them to fleece people. Okay, post IPO performance. So the IPO in 2019, September, like we said, there was no major short selling report <laughs> like there was for GB we spoke about last week. But interestingly, Huawei sued. Um, transient for IP infringement the week before the IPO. It didn't have a major impact, but I think in terms of if you want to sue any company, a good time to do it is probably when they're about to IPO because you have more negotiation leverage. They're, they're likely to settle and make it go away. Uh, I wanted to, to talk a little bit about the post-IPO performance of Jumia versus Transient because we spoke about Jumia last week. Uh, so I'm going to give some information. And I think when I give the information, you'll understand why they've had very different performances. So like I said before, Jumia 80% down, Transient basically the same. So let's look at profitability. So Transient gross margins, 26.9%. Jumia gross margins, 47%. So it sounds like Jumia has better gross margins. Operating margins for Transient, 8.26%. Operating margins for Jumia, negative 142%. Net profit margin for Transient, 6.8%. Net profit margin for Jumia, negative 140%. So you can see from the profitability perspective that Jumia is making a lot of losses. Transient is making a lot of profit. So that's already telling the first story. But that's just the accounting those, accrual those, information. Those margins are smaller than I expected. And that's what I'll say. The transient margins are smaller than I expected. And I think what we should do now is why don't you talk about the bookcase? And I'll see if I have anything to add, and then I can take the bear case because I'm maybe leading it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like okay. Let's talk about that. I'll, I'll give one more piece of information about the comparison, and then we'll talk about the bear bull case. Um, so what I said before was just the profitability. If we look at just cash, so not accrual base, actual cash accounting, and we look at uh, cash from operations, so the net cash you get from your actual core business in 2019. So Transient made 568 million dollars from cash from operations, cash from the core business. Jumia in 2019. Positive net, 568. Yes, plus, plus 568 million in the year 2019. In a year. Yes, cash flow from operations. Not cash flow from That's investing, good. not cash flow from financing, from your actual core operations. Jumia in 2019, they made negative 196 million. So they lost 196 million. So if you look at profitability, which is accounting, accrual accounting, if you look at cash, either way, they tell very different stories, which is why they have slightly different trajectories. Um, now we can talk about the bull and bear case. That's equal to almost the same amount as Jimmy raising the IPO. Yes, so. exactly. And for the audience, you may be wondering, wait, how is this possible? If Jumia in 2019, the cash from operations was negative 196 million, how are they in business? Well, they're in business because you can get cash from other places. You can get cash from financing activities, such as like selling stock or from investors, which is what they did, which is why they're still in business. So slightly different businesses. Um, and I do want to give that as a comparison point for the people that listened last week. Bull and bear case. Go, go. Why didn't you? Should I go Please. first? I can go first. I, I don't care. I have thoughts. Um, so this is why you should not be excited about this, right? Um, that's probably a good place to start, right? Okay. The first reason is um, a company a strategy, a company performance is related to the markets in which they operate, right? And the markets in which they operate are have just not been doing well from a macro perspective. Mm -hmm. And the outlook is bleak. Um, talking about sub-Saharan African countries. What, 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 what do you mean by outlook? Do you mean uh, GDP? I mean, inequality? I mean GDP. GDP growth 
but also pro- forecasting GDP growth, not just from the this coronavirus recession, mm-hmm. um, more from like all price pressures. Yeah. So not just the economy is shut down, but because the government has no revenue in a government, uh, government is the prime starter. What's that engineering term? Prime, prime mover maybe of the of these economies, and therefore people are going to have lower purchasing power, longer replacement cycles for phones, and they will just be caught in the caught in the mix. Right. That's something to worry about. The African mobile phone market, depending on who you ask, it's growing three to four percent a year. It's not a lot. Basically flat, to be honest. Yeah, it seems to depend on how they get the data, right? It yeah. can be flat. Yeah. It seems to have uh, anecdotally longer replacement cycles. So maybe they sell a lot to people who are buying their first smartphone. But when those people buy their second smartphone, is the question. Um there's stuff about penetration, we can talk about that. But the first thing to be worried about is Transition, no matter how big it gets, it's not bigger than the economy is operating. If people don't have money, they're not going to be able to sell any phones, no matter, no matter how good they are or how lowly priced they are. Yeah. Oh, so, Bankley, have you read Why Nations Fail, the book? I have, but I okay. read it when I was like a young So, so yeah, I, I read it like last year. There's a story to be told that even when the economy or countries are doing badly, if you're in an extractive industry, you can still extract money and profits from, from this. So maybe, I mean, I agree with you, but there yeah. are, if the if on average a country is doing bad or the economy is not doing well, there'll be some parts of some segments that would be doing well. And if you're in those segments, you could still net out ahead. Oh, I, I just don't think mobile phone purchasing is one of them. Like, that's, Got it. That's, that's it. I, Got it. I, I was playing I, devil's advocate. I, I, I knew what I, you mean. I, I just know. I agree with that. Like, resources is a great one yeah. to make money. It's an attractive industry. Yeah. Um, mobile phones is yeah. unlikely one of them. But by the way, for Services the audience, magnificent book if anyone hasn't read it. Why nations fail? The other reason to worry about, which we talked a bit earlier about, is uh, competition from other brands. Um, there's Samsung, there's Google, there's Apple. There's there's intense competition from a lot of other brands that also, on top of that, have a well-developed services layer layer that makes things sticky, right? Um, Apple, last couple of years, has been going into lower-end devices. Not, not techno low-end, but you know, low end. Wait, for wait, Apple. hold on, hold on. Their ASP for feature phones are nine bucks. Their ASP for smartphones are eighty bucks. Last I heard, the iPhone SE was four hundred dollars. So I think it's still. <laughs> I'm not well, sure. You can get the, you can get the, the iPhone level. four. So this happened with Apple in India. Is a lot of the phones that people trading in the US are being refurbished and being resold yes, in India. Yes, second hand well. market. So Apple is investing heavily in the second hand market. They, they want you on iOS. They don't want you on iPhone SE. As because they want you on iOS. So there's a lot of, of things in the second hand market and they're extend, extending their support timelines of their older phones as well to account for all of this stuff. So that's what's happening. The other um, competition angle is other Chinese brands. We talked about the Huawei lawsuit and then there's um and then there's a lot of like Huawei, Oppo, Xiaomi are coming in big and Xiaomi also has a established services business. They have a scale, they have a band. Uh, and they're selling that. They're paying influencers to to step on their skills yeah, in Nigeria. We should do a Xiaomi episode um, one, one day. I'm uh, I'm not sure if I fully buy their services business, but okay, we'll come back to that later. But if you buy Xiaomi, if you don't buy Xiaomi, you can't buy yes. techno services. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's <laughs> like it's like if if you don't like Usain Bolt, it means you don't like anyone running because he's the best. Like, yeah, there's, there's no there's not there's not a big you know there's no big of all the Chinese businesses they are the most developed services story. Um, the other piece is what IP do they have? What patents do they have? 
and you own the OS. The hardware, they're getting sued for left, right, and center. Um, so it's it's not clear how sustainable this is. You got it. Okay. Like, it, it's, it's not how sustainable this is. I think they know that, which is what the people are into a lot of the services. Yeah. And we talk about the services they have is, jury still out, is you can give people stuff for free. Uh, they, they will take it from you. Can you monetize that behavior in a way that makes sense? To the hardware, mm. I'll talk about why that may not be a good idea in terms of like lower prices and competition. Yeah. Uh, through the software, people don't want to pay for a service or like either. People don't want to pay, period. Mm-hmm. So that's, it sounds good, but can they actually get people to fork over $2.99 or pay? Boom coins is what they charge oh, as well. Goodness gracious. Boom coins. Okay. I love it. And boom coins is great. Okay. So that's your, your, your bear case. Your bull oh, case. I'm not done. Oh, my you goodness. Always, you, always, you, always, you always try to cut me off when I'm trying to be negative. No, I'm, can I'm, I be negative I'm, in I'm case? I'm so sorry. Because your bear case sounds... Okay. P- please keep going. It sounds like a bull case? No, no. I didn't say it sounds like a bull case. I, it just sounds like a lot. <laughs> It's a lot because okay. there's a lot of things to be worried about. There's a lot of things I'm worried about here. Okay. The third piece is how much money is there to be made here? It's a race to the bottom. <laughs> right? Um, are, are we in a HP versus Compaq war of the 90s, right? Uh, hardware war of the 90s, HP, Compaq, IBM, laptop war of the 90s. There was a lot of money invested. There's a lot of bloodshed, not a lot of money made. A lot of companies built, a lot of huge valuations. But for any of these companies to make actual money, they, they did have to do other things. And they have to do other things. The hardware business hasn't been fortunate to any of these companies. My sense is like average price for smartphones are reducing daily. Just sort of similar. If you parallel it to like the PC hardware market in the 90s, um, it's very similar. Late 90s, early 2000s, similar trends. Like the average ASP for these phones are going 20, 30%. Yeah. And all, all the profits accrue to either Microsoft or Intel. And in this case, all the profits will accrue to the players that are at that level of abstraction, not at the level hardware of, margins level. Not the hardware level of abstraction. Yeah, and yeah. the question is, is they're going in the wrong direction versus if you contrast it with, say, Apple, when when phone prices start to like um, drop to competitive pressure, they just launch iPhone Max. Like they just mm. they jack up the ASP by design all the time. Yeah, which is why they launched the Pro Max Pro. So, so. So uh, wait, let me let me ask you a question. This is a tricky conversation because I guess the most important question for any business is not how do I come up with a competitive strategy to be successful in this business I'm in. The most important question is what business am I going to be in first? And then you figure out the strategy. Are you saying they're fundamentally in the wrong business? Or are you saying they're in the right business and their strategy is wrong? Because I, I think what I hear you saying is the business is just so like low-margin feature phone, smartphone business in developing markets a hard business. Is that it, or is it a strategic thing? It doesn't mean you can't be profitable. So I don't think it's a strategic thing. I think the market is... I don't think the market is... I think the question about the market is not a good versus bad market. Hmm. I think it's a particularly like challenging market. Okay. The benefits you get from here, uh, from being in this market or investing in this market, if you're Huawei... And I'm, by the market, I'm talking about hardware phone sales. Yes, If yes. you're Huawei or... or um, or Samsung or Xiaomi or Apple, Samsung, whatever. Apple. The benefits you get from this can be compensated away and will be compensated away. You have to keep investing to run in the same position. So it's a different way of thinking about ROI, right? Is here, traditional ways of thinking about ROI is if I invest, do I get my money back and break even? Um, you, will, oh, Yes, you, you will get your money back and break even. The challenge is those advantages from your investment, those superior operational um, improvements or reduction in spend 
are going to go to the customer in the form of lower prices. So you don't get to keep uh, the, the, the margin. So contrast it with say an Apple, if Apple gets a manufacturing improvement that cost, cuts cost by 10%, they keep that because their phones are not reducing the value price at all. But here, if they reduce that cost by 10%, they are going to have to pass that on to the customer because Huawei and all those people are going to do the same thing and outcompete them out of the market. So as, so the more they invest, sort of the less money they make. It's a very counterintuitive way to think about it, where the market itself has that built-in characteristic. Now, that's not to say not profitable. There's a lot of money to be made on the path to zero. I think people always miss that. People always miss the whole like, oh, this business is worth zero, but like it's worth something now. At some point in the future, but worth zero, there's a lot of money to be made in between. Yeah, um, that's, that's uh, similar to companies that pump oil. Like eventually, we'll all find another way for alternative energy. But in the meantime, make rain, while the sun shines, yeah. or make hay while so the sun shines. Whatever. My, my part of my bear case here is looking at this entire business. Is saying if it's a decent enough business, but the competitive pressure in this business suggests that at a six point eight percent margin, pretty margin, that's that's one factory fire away from uh, from a negative uh, year, uh, and it's only going to get lower. They're not building any sustainably sustainable competitive advantages that will allow me as an investor to feel confident. So the question is how the question I would have is how confident do you feel um, about the ability to outcompete? Now I have thoughts about answers to each of these, but I'm sure we'll get to them when we talk about your bull case. Okay. Okay. Do you want to talk about your, your bull case or you want me to talk about my bear case as well? So the bull case is like the bull case is I can talk about my bull case. Do it. It's very it's very straightforward in that like going into they have shown the ability to really understand this customer in a way that the other people who have been in Africa for longer have not been able to do, unable or unwilling to do. So you can talk about the um the phone apps, you can talk about the uh the, the phone apps, the modification modifications of the camera, the sort of rebranding, the partnerships. They bought it they they bought a say a, a distribution company in Nigeria. They bought one of the mass biggest like distribution company in Nigeria called MicroStation. Um so they 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 are a fully integrated company in a way that the others are not willing to to be, right? So that's one thing. Like they they can out innovate the others. So we, they may be playing the same game, but they're on the ground and they're, they're quicker. The way small companies tend to out innovate big companies, or single product companies tend to innovate like massive product portfolio companies. So their localization is great. The other piece of the bull market is they might be able to be they can be competition, right? You think about having a low cost phone and having a low cost position. Like if Xiaomi and Transition sell roughly the same number of phones, like. Forget the glam, forget the brand. They have the same low cost position. Yeah, have the same benefits I call scale. it the Walmart strategy versus Patek Philippe strategy. Walmart strategy is like just bang it out. Low margins, high volume. Then Patek Philippe yeah. is the opposite. Super high margins, but then low volume. So like if you focus on the volumes and your margins are low, you'll be fine. It's just eventually if the margins are too thin, you're in a tricky position. But they also the difference between Trasha and any of these four manufacturers is that they are if you look at the layer of everywhere they are, what they want to be is to control the entire stack. And Samsung is, has tried that, is trying that. Uh, but Transition's Edge is the localized stack. Like, so they've, they've cut off this niche that is even a niche even in the countries they operate in. Maybe not a niche, niche to you and I. And they're able to just go after them with that customization. Got it. Got it. Well, your, your bull case was way shorter than your bear case. Yeah. Okay. That's it. All right. My my bear bear case is um, basically there are four different things. I'll call my bear case the Nokia slash BlackBerry case for obvious reasons. So competitors come in super aggressively and they start 
um, pushing lower phones, squeezing margins. The second bear case is good enough Android phones start to be cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And then consumers are like, well, do we actually need feature phones? So if the Android phones drop very quickly and then dumb phones are, are not adequately priced, the competitive positioning is in dumb phones. So that's another issue. Another problem is if they're not able to port all their distinguishing feature phone features to smartphones. Because right now, a lot of the ways they separate themselves from competitors are in feature phones. I'm not sure how portable those are to smartphones when they start selling them. And then the last thing is if they end up getting stretched too thin. Um, Because they're in all these countries, Bangladesh, India, so on and so forth. So far, it seems good. But the bare case is stretched too thin, um, too many competitors, prices go down, and then it just doesn't work out as well. So what is my positive case, the bull case? Yeah, I want to hear that one. So the bull case is maybe they can ride the wave of feature phones, move into smartphones with mostly the same share. Maybe they can even take some more share. It will be like classic Clay Christensen low-end disruption. So that's part of the positive case. Another thing is if they can get their existing services businesses to take off, like we spoke about Pompeii, we spoke about other things. Pompeii, honestly, is their biggest chance to, to do something. Hopefully, also in this positive case, they can diversify into more services businesses. I think it's going to be a little bit um, difficult this because if a company's org culture is set up to be a hardware business, it's a little bit harder to be a services business, but that's part of the bull case. Another part of the bull case is since they're so well embedded, they're so localized, maybe they see something in terms of investing or partnering with another company that can make them partially successful. And then the last positive case is if they get acquired by another Chinese player because other Chinese players are not big enough in Africa and they may see some acquisition value here because this company is profitable. They do have cash. So that's my my positive case. You know, you know the bull case that we haven't talked about? Tell me. Is we're still in the first 10 minutes of the first quarter or the first half of mobile phone or phone penetration in Africa, which is basically a bull case. So we, we, we a lot of the beer case I find just has this idea of a steady state market thinking to it versus they are just onboarding people right? They're onboarding people to feature phones. They're onboarding people to smartphones. They're onboarding people to phones, period, right? Um, uh, there are more people to onboard than have been home onboarded. It's almost like they can be an unwrap. They have like several years. You could argue that they have several years, at least three to five years to be an unwrap to smartphones. Oh yeah, they definitely have a lot of time because there are more feature phones sold than smartphones, like we said. Like I, I would say like that's that's a good five-year run to make money and then figure out what to do next. If I had to pick, I would pick the bull case. I think they'll mostly be fine. But the bull case is predicated on their existing business just maintaining in the long term. I don't know if they're going to grow into something more than that. I just think the services story is extremely difficult. Um, But I I think they have enough there where the the bull case is slightly more likely than the bear case. It's just Uh, predicated uh, on the same margins. Let me tell you why I picked that bull case. Um, Their localization is... Uh, miles ahead of competition. Yes, they're willing to do and it. And I think that makes that makes a world of difference. To listen to what your customers actually want, to do what they're doing and meet them where they actually are. The Boom Play app, you should try it. It's definitely built for who I was in, in secondary school, uh, where many people are today. They have boots on the ground that are thinking and developing and customizing. That's why I'm bullish about yeah. them. And they have a lot of cash and 
profits to take their time to do it. They're not in a super tight, desperate position yeah. like Jumia where they're burning cash. That's why I gave that other comparison at the top of the profitability margins and the cash positions. Yeah, they'll be a step ahead. Yeah. At the very least, they'll be a step ahead for a while. Yeah, for, for a while. Uh, markets can change instantaneously, so we shall see how all this develops. So yeah, boom. Let's see, how all this, let's see how all this podcast ages. Yeah, um, we shall see. All right, recommendations. I have three recommendations. First recommendation is this article by David Sachs called Blitz Fail. How not to go off the rails. It's about how once promising SF startups start to go off the rails and all the characteristics they share in common and why things that seem good eventually help um, push them off the rails. Great article. Very short too. Cal Newport, I'm a big fan. I've read all his books. He has an article called The Deep Reset. And it talks about how to think about resetting your mind so you're not overwhelmed by all the COVID stuff happening. Good article, also very short. And then Fred Wilson has an article called Location and Work on the post-COVID impact of working away from the office. That's, I, I would like to read those articles, just post the links. Yes, um, I will add them to the show, no, show notes and send it to you. You know what would be cool product idea? Yeah. To have like a group shared pocket that you can share with people. Like I would want to follow the pockets of like of like people I find interesting. Like I want to follow the stuff you post, the folks yes. you save to your pocket to read. Yes, here. yes. Um, that, that's a great idea, actually. Anyway, stuff I read. So this past week, I finished this, this book called The Man Who Beat the Market by Ed Thorpe. One of the guys who started, who proved mathematically you could beat Blackjack. So the precursor to the 21 movie, um, trained all of them, one of the first guys. Also built the first wearable computer with Claude Shannon, like a Shannon of transistor fame. So this guy, to know whether this guy had wore something on his body and had a ticker that would track um, the rotation of the roulette ball on the spinning roulette. So calculate the momentum and can give you a range of where it's likely to fall depending on where it falls in that. I was like, wow. Next level, um, next level stuff. Yeah. A couple of things I got from the book that was very interesting. One is this idea of trying things out for yourself and not accepting, like, generally accepted answers. So yes. when he started looking at Blackjack, the generally accepted answer was that you couldn't beat the casino and everybody accepted it so many people did not even try like everybody talks about it in science once people know there's an answer people just find the answer just that's just how science and research works yeah, the, the history and of humanity had, everyone agrees until one person doesn't agree and then we'll see if that person changes the world and he just he just did not um i did not know so he just went ahead the other piece that i get is this idea of something called a Kelly criteria and it tells you exactly how much you should bet depending on what your edge is. But the whole idea behind it is, even behind what he did in Blackjack, people always think being in casino is is being right all the time. No, it's just being right more often, like, more more than you're wrong. It's expected value. Your expected value yeah. is is positive most of the time versus negative. Yeah, making small bets when the edge is small or negative. Making small bets edge is small. Staying away when the bet is negative, edge is negative, and going big when the edge is big. Um, I know you're a big the key, Nassim Taleb fan, so that's why I smiled when you said that. Sounds like Nassim, Ta say. Nassim Taleb wrote the the foreword to the book. Oh really? Oh snap! How I discovered it. <laughs> yeah, so, Nassim is oh my goodness, character. So this idea of and that's how exactly how we lived his life. It was like I don't know anything. I just know I can make good, credible estimates about my edge. Depending on how confident I feel, I vary the size of my bet because it keeps me alive and it keeps me in the game. And people forget the whole point of the game is surviving, is not winning. It's surviving. It's surviving. It's surviving. And I think people just, many people forget that. Optimize for a different thing, you get a different result. Um, but one thing that's important is like 
not making mistakes, like staying alive. Yeah, isn't that Warren Buffett's two or three rules? Like rule number one, don't run out of cash. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one or something like that. That's yeah. Warren Buffett's no, it was, it was, It's Charlie Munger who is this idea of... Oh, Charlie um, Munger, oh my goodness. Whose idea of, of telling, of saying, don't do stupid things. I love Charlie One of my favorite books, um, yeah. Charlie Munger's Almanac. Amazing. Uh, Charlie Munger is, is a genius. Unfortunately, there's no ebook. Um, I mean, no, there's no audiobook. I actually had to get the the actual um, ebook. So I, I was. Why do you mean? Why do you, why do you mean? Unfortunately, anyways, yeah. different folks are different. Different <laughs> folks. I'm I'm saying for myself. Anyway, so what other recommendations? That was the only thing I was okay. able to read this week. That at least is notable. Okay, and then we're trying a new section called small wins. What was my small win this week? I got a new watch face on my Fossil Gen 5. And yeah, I, I really like it. So I've been very excited about that. Cause Super I got, lame, bro. Yeah, I got, I got a new watch. <laughs> and I tried a new a bunch of watch faces. And yeah, I was not I was not impressed until I got this. So small one makes lame. me happy. Put, post, post a link in the show notes and get that like... Uh, I will. Affiliate bonus. <laughs> 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 no, uh, what is small win? This past week, I bought I bought a standing desk. Oh, the idea nice. I can move around. An actual uh, desk or a platform to put on an existing desk? Actual desk, fam. I'm serious about this stuff. Man. That is a major. I win. work. I work here now, but that's step one. Step two is assembling a desk. So <laughs> this desk got delivered a week ago. It's not happening this weekend. Maybe next weekend. The next episode will be recorded from a standing position. So cool. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, topics you'd like to hear, or just want to say hello, please email info at affability.com. Thanks. Cheers.